This week in Revolt Black News, we're focusing on sports. Because while gyms may be closed and stadiums might be empty, the athletes continue to push forward. They're taking a stand, they're training, they're playing, they're taking a knee, they're listening, they're learning. And while sports shows us what equality can look like on the field, we've got to reconcile that representation off the field. Look at the NBA, for example. While the numbers are getting better with 43% of teams having black coaches now, we still only represent 2% of majority ownership. And then there's the NFL, where there are three black head coaches, two black general managers, and zero ownership. So here at Revolt Black News, we don't turn to management. We turn to the athletes. And better yet, those that are aligning with organizations like Nike with their You Can't Stop Us campaign. Athletes like LeBron James, Naomi Osaka, and Megan Rapinoe have joined their initiative, which provides a platform for players from all levels. They get to raise their voices, advocate for change, and stand up for our communities. We're totally here for it. So let's take a look. We're never alone. And that is our strength. Because when we're doubted, we'll play as one. When we're held back, we'll go farther and harder. If we're not taken seriously, we'll prove that wrong. And if we don't fit the sport, we'll change the sport. We know things won't always go our way. And the world's sporting events are postponed or cancelled. But whatever it is, we'll find a way. And when things aren't fair, we'll come together for change. We have a responsibility to make this world a better place. And no matter how bad it gets, we will always come back stronger. Because nothing can stop what we can do together. Now that's how you show the world that we can't be stopped. No apologies. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. So today we've got a packed show, and it's all geared towards sports and inequality. Now, with so much attention on the NBA's restart, we wanted to begin with a conversation about the league's solidarity for social justice and some dissenting voices. So with that, we're going to start with a conversation with Meta World Peace. Meta, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be on your show. Nah, thank you, brother. So let's get to it. You said if you were playing right now, you would not be taking a knee. Tell us why. Well, um, that's what I was talking to TMZ about when I was coming out the airport. But so for one, I have my own opinion. You know, mm -hmm. just being influenced. I'm from the streets of New York City. So when you look at the influence from uptown Harlem or from Brooklyn, uh, people like Brother Polite, people that are like fighting for uh, our well-being, uh, you start to have a lot of different opinions. 
you know, in New York City, very high, high culture. You know, five percenters. You have uh, the, the Israelites. You know, you have mm -hmm. the people that just Baptists. Uh, so I really couldn't take a knee because that's like submitting, you know? Let me ask you this. Would you be potentially wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt or putting a social justice on your jersey? Because I follow your Instagram and you have been out here protesting and putting up messages in solidarity with the movement. So would you wear a shirt? It's just hard to say because, you know, since 1999, when I came into the NBA, I was already in that mindset. People know what I was about, representing my neighborhood and things that we've been through. And even when I got drafted, I said I wanted to represent Queensbridge. Shout out to my hood after the championships. So I, it's certain things that I already been the movement. <laughs> I am the movement, you know, um, in a sense, right? So now I see people starting to become aware of different things that have been happening. I've seen this is eight years old. <laughs> there ain't nothing new. So will I have a, a BLM shirt? I don't know. Um, it depends. Not that I'm not for the movement, just I have my own opinions that I like to be heard. Would you take advantage of the league's permission, if you will, for players to put these social justice messages on the back of their jerseys? Would you put a message on the back of your jersey? Well, I did that already, right? <laughs> um, well, I did that's that true. <laughs> and now I see like the NBA was like, hey, everybody put, push, you know, push a message in the back of your shirt. And I think it's brilliant. I probably would have uh, taken advantage of it and put something on the back of okay. my jersey also. What would you put? Would you still put world peace or would you, would you uh, give us a new message this time? Well, it depends, right? Because at that time, it was like my idea to uh, follow Chad Ochocinco and, uh, and not so much World Be Free, but obviously World Be Free changed his name also for a good cause. Mm -hmm. So it probably would have been something aligned with everyone, what they're doing now. But in 2011, I was just feeling a different way, you know, uh, so I felt like World Peace was really cool. And it was, and it is. And I'll just push back a little bit because I hear you. I hear your point. You were essentially ahead of your time uh, being aware of the injustices against black people and black men for a long time. That makes sense. I resonate with that. But there is a moment, right, that, that is upon us right now where the collective is trying to take action. Do you see yourself being a part of that collective? And do you think that matters? Do you think, you know, that, that that's Listen. important that everybody be on the same page? This is my thing. I'm from the streets of New York City and my people that have been struggling for a long time. Now, I see like a lot and I'm really grateful that all the other ethnicities are coming in. It was I was amazed when I was marching like, wow, so many uh, other ethnicities other than black people. So I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, I would say a politician or, or historian, but, you know, you can see when things is going wrong. So in New York City, we've been struggling and stressed for a long time. So when I seen this movement, for me personally, I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. And do you think right now in this moment, Meta, the Black Lives Matter movement right now, does it have the focus that you are looking for? Uh, listen, I, I, I like the Black Lives, um, Black Lives Matter movement because I didn't know what it meant the first time it came out. Because me, I'm always asking questions. I'm from the streets of New York City, influenced by Harlem, Uptown, Queens. So we always looking deeper. You know what I'm saying? So let's say you were in the locker room. Let's say you were playing ball right now. And one of your teammates, in a respectful way, approached you and um, said, why you not? Why you not kneeling with us, bro? What would you say to that? Well, for one, I probably would kneel. 
because I usually do what the group does because as a basketball player, I've been captains of teams. Okay, so I mentioned earlier, uh, Meta, that the Orlando Magic player, Jonathan Isaac, that he did not kneel. He chose to stand during the anthem. And then, you know, just a few days later, he actually ended up tearing his ACL. And, you know, here at Revolt Black News, we certainly want to send our prayers up for that brother in, in a speedy wow. uh, recovery. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, Meta World Peace. You know, let's, let's just get to it. Some people on social media were saying that that was karma or that was quote, uh-huh. what he got. For not feel, yeah. What's your reaction to that? If you really feel somebody deserves karma for believing in themselves, and I don't know, like I don't necessarily agree with what he said. You see what I'm saying? I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what he said. I don't necessarily agree with what anyone said. I believe I, I agree with what I say, and that's what he believed in. We, if we all are expected to be the same, then you, just be a dictator. <laughs> just go. Mm. You know, we talking dictatorship again, or what, are, are we talking freedom? Final question before before we let you go, Meta. We all remember that uh, dynamic championship run in 2010, and and you guys came away, of course, the victors there. And one of the things you did that I personally, I remember this, I'm an NBA fan, I remember that you thanked your psychiatrist on national television in front of millions of people. And in doing so, of course, you were helping destigmatize uh, mental health treatment and therapy for everybody, but specifically for black men, because we know we are still doing that work today. So I want to ask you, where are you? How are you doing in your mental health journey personally? Um, and of course, you are an advocate for this work. So tell us about that. Absolutely. Thanks for recognizing. I've been trying to let them know for a long time, but sometimes it's too late. Like, like for example, if the mental health movement came out right now, it was big. I was way back. <laughs> trying. To- you were ahead of your time. You definitely were ahead of your time. Just trying to push the good message, you know, and it's because looking from the outside in, you can see, wow, Ron Artest at 19, he was going through a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. now I'm able to give that knowledge back, right, to different people. And I'm for I'm for being open and being vulnerable. Thank you, Meta, for your time, your courage, and how you just always show up and advocate for mental health. Now, we've got more Revolt Black news on the way after this break, so stick around. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. And these are today's headlines. Now, new body cam footage has surfaced in the moments preceding George Floyd's fatal arrest. Now, in the clip, Floyd is held at gunpoint and then later forced into the officer's vehicle, despite saying he's claustrophobic. Let's take a look. A 17-year-old in Georgia, Justin Hunter, lost both of his parents, Angie and Eugene Hunter, to COVID-19 just within four days of each other. Now, although the entire family had tested positive one week prior, Justin was asymptomatic and he's already spoken out. Let's watch. Well, first of all, my parents are in a better place and they aren't suffering at all. They're um, they're probably up there partying, having fun. And uh, second of all, God's got my back. And mistaken for a stolen car, Aurora PD detained a black family, which included a six-year-old girl and her 12-year-old sister. Now, reports have since clarified that the true stolen vehicle was actually a motorcycle rather than the family of four's SUV. Now, 
If that doesn't make sense to you, it definitely doesn't make sense to me either. How in the world does a motorcycle get confused with an SUV? Hmm. Sounds like the only thing that sounded suspicious there or looked suspicious there was the fact that this was a black family. The massive explosion that rocked Lebanon's capital, Beirut, reportedly killed upwards of 137 people and wounded 5,000. Let's look. Now, still no decisive cause, but officials have linked the explosion to almost 3,000 tons of confiscated ammonium nitrate that was stored in a warehouse for six years. The Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, well, he's being called to testify before the House Oversight and Reform Committee for recent operational shifts. Now, those shifts include eliminating overtime and restricting letter carrier activity. All right, y'all, so just for some context here, all right, the Postmaster General, that is a role that's appointed by what's called a Board of Governors. Now, a Board of Governors functions exactly like a Board of Directors. And who are they appointed by? Well, the president, in this case, President Trump. So this particular Postmaster General that we just reported on, DeJoy, he's also known to be a Trump donor. Y'all connect the dots. Reports were made last night that Republican activists and Trump allies are all working together to help Kanye West get on November's ballot in an effort to suppress Joe Biden votes. Okay, y'all, so we knew this would come. We knew this could happen. Make sure you do the right thing and make your voices heard in November. So with all of these potential voting obstacles, we have to recognize what today represents in our history. Today marks the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which prohibits racial discrimination in voting. So we have to thank all of those that came before us that risked their very lives, especially the black women who led the movement to prompt the landmark legislation. But it's also incumbent upon us. That we have to remember where we're at right now in 2020. This is a moment, y'all, we cannot get complacent and we have to continue to push for progress. And in what many hope to be good news, Joe Biden is expected to pick a VP candidate any day now. And reportedly, six black women are being considered. Now, they include Senator Kamala Harris, Representative Karen Bass, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, Susan Rice, Val Demings, and Stacey Abrams. And one reported Biden confident is even saying that the list is just down to two, Senator Kamala Harris and Susan Rice. And in both hip-hop and sports news, the Detroit Pistons, well, they've extended a tryout to rapper J. Cole. Now, we know J. Cole is known for his shoot-arounds and his devotion to the game. Fellow rapper and former college ball player Dave East, he said that if J. Cole makes it to the league, he will start training immediately. And of course, we can't forget, J. Cole's been a baller, right? He played right here in New York for St. John's. All right, so that's it for today's headlines. But coming up, we're going to get into the HBCU recruiting movement with a former NFL player and a Super Bowl winning champ, Doug Williams. So stay with us. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, in continuing with today's theme of sports, we now bring the conversation to HBCUs and the recruiting movement. Now, I am here with a gentleman that needs little introduction. He was an NFL player, and he was the very first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, Mr. Doug Williams. Welcome, Doug, to the show. Thank you for having me. 
Indeed. Okay. So uh, again, with your history making performance in the Super Bowl, uh, it is an understatement that you had extreme success in the NFL, but you came from an HBCU, the Grambling State University. Uh, talk about that experience of making it to, to the pros, making it to the big leagues from an HBCU. Well, well number one, you know, I went to uh, Grambling during the time when, at the beginning of integration. And uh, mm-hmm. I think my class base in the mid the mid seventies to the late seventies was the, the last of the top uh black athletes going to mostly HBCUs. You know, before integration, there was no other place to go but the HBCUs. Indeed. Now you had an incredible career in college, but there was really only one NFL team that was really pursuing you, and that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they did end up drafting you in the first round. Doug what do you make of the relatively little fanfare that you received going into the league, considering you had such a phenomenal college career? Do you think it was because you were coming from an HBCU? Well, you know, I, I really think that it, that was other teams. It just so happened they probably wasn't going to draft me in the first round. If they had the opportunity uh-huh. to go in the second or third round, they probably would have taken a chance. But uh, Tampa at that particular time really held the first pick in the whole draft. So, I mean, they knew that Nobody was probably going to pick a black quarterback at that particular time in 1978 at the top of the food right. chain. So they felt like they had a chance down the line. Out of all of the historic NFL players, only 10% total that have ever played in the league have come from HBCUs. But in this moment of aggressive HBCU recruiting of high school players in a new way in this moment, do you see that total changing as we move forward? Do you think more professional players are gonna come out of HBCUs? You know, we we sit here talking and I would like to be as positive as I possibly can and say, oh yeah, it's gonna happen. Uh, I got to see it. You know, I really got to see it from a football standpoint. Uh, I think you got to look at it across the board and you see these guys who come out of four stars, five stars. The chance of the historical black colleges getting back to what they used to be and being able to get you four or five top athletes across the country that could have went anywhere in the country. Uh, I don't know whether that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I, like I say, I would like to right. be positive and, and say that it will happen, but it'll be hard for me to see it at this particular time. You got to see it to believe it. I understand, brother. So let me ask you this, Doug. In addition to that Super Bowl win and all the other accolades, you are also an executive in the National Football League. Uh, You sit and you serve as uh, SVP of player development, and you really sit in rare air. There are not a lot of black men or, for that matter, black women that are operating in these uh, front office roles, as we call them, in the National Football League. What, what do you attribute that to, Doug? And how do you think we can change that and see more black folks in executive positions in a league that is 70 percent black players? Unfortunately, I think it can change by what has transpired over the last um, few weeks. And, and mm. that's letting you know that we need a more diverse America. But but at the end of the day, you got 32 entities. You got 32 owners who makes the final decision. Uh, until they decide that this is what they want for their organization. Uh, we can preach, we can teach, we can do a whole lot of things, but it's not going to happen. They have to step up. You know, I applaud the New Orleans, New Orleans Saints uh, just announced today that they're bringing Terry Fundo up as an assistant general manager. Terry been around right. the Saints organization for a long time, and he rightly deserved that opportunity. But it's unfortunate. you got a lot of guys that they rehash, guys that sit in the seat for a long time, 
and 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 no productivity, but they still stand there rather than giving a, a black man an opportunity to do the same thing. You know, give us a chance to succeed. And if we fail, we fail. Uh, yeah, I hear that. And we know that there was the Rooney Rule. Technically, there still is the Rooney Rule, but it hasn't had the success that it was designed to. What is your what's your take? What are your thoughts on the Rooney Rule, Doug? The Rooney Rule, to me, only worked one time since it's been in. Wow. And that's when the Pittsburgh Steelers hired Mike Tumlin. And, and, and the rule is named behind the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mr. Rooney. But so far over the last few years, to me, the Rooney rule has been circumvented, which means ah. it's always a meeting before the meeting. I, and I think we understand when, when you say that. It's a meeting before the meeting. We already got the coach that we want, but we got to do this because of what? We got to interview a minority because the Rooney rules say let's interview a minority. It's out of our hands. And like I say, it's up to the owners to make those decisions. Yeah, so the Rooney Rule is essentially just performative, and that's that's what we see. And that's why the numbers look like they do. Only three uh, black head coaches, two black GMs, zero black owners in the NFL majority. Um, final question. So you are SVP, as I said, of the football team in Washington. So I'd be remiss not to ask you, what's your take on the name change of the team in Washington? Well, at this particular time, we are the Washington football team. And mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of my um, teammates, guys that I play with, guys that still live around here. And uh, we discussed the name. And, and at the end of the day, um, the, the name was a slur, and it was time mm-hmm. for it to go. Lo and behold, thank God, um, we've changed the name, and now we just got to go forward, whether we keep the Washington football team or whatever name they, they so choose. Before I let you go, Doug, what is one thing you want to tell black high school football players and basketball players or or players of all sports as they consider whether or not to commit to an HBCU for their college experience, if they indeed want a professional sports career? Well, first of all, I think what you got to look at from the first standpoint is about the education. Because let me tell you something, you know, last couple of weeks, you know, watching uh, John Lewis laid to rest, uh, thinking about George Floyd and Brianna Teller and, and all the other uh, African-Americans that had lost their lives over the last few years. You got to look at it for what's best for you, where you want to be. Are you going to get an opportunity to play? Are you going to sit on the bench, just ride and, and be happy that you had a big school? Or do you want to play and go and get a degree and, and be somebody when it's all over? All right. Said by the man who can speak on it better than most anybody, history making Super Bowl winning Doug Williams. All right, thank you, Doug, so much for your time and for shedding light on this HBCU recruitment moment. Now, in continuing with today's theme in sports, we're now bringing the conversation to HBCUs and the recruiting movement. Now, I'm joined by Daniel Ingram, and he has joined that movement. Now, he committed to play football for Arkansas Pine Bluff, and we've got him with us today. Thanks for joining, Daniel. So, listen, you actually originally in February committed to the University of Cincinnati. Then in July, you decommitted and you announced that you're going to actually play football for the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Walk us through your decision, Daniel. So Arkansas was always in, in a mix with other offers like West Virginia State, other HBCUs, had a lot of interest in East Tennessee State and um, East, Eastern Michigan. But choosing Arkansas was, a, was, was, a good, was based on a good decision. So I Chose, I chose Arkansas to play football, and it was actually probably the best decision I made. 
Okay, so somebody else we're talking to in this episode is the legendary Doug Williams. Of course, we know he went to the Grambling State University and he represents somebody who was able to go from an HBCU and go on to a fantastic professional career, of course, becoming the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Uh, but Doug Williams right now doesn't represent the majority of HBCU college players going to the league because um, it's just not that many of them. Do you think, Daniel, that this represents a moment where we could see a change in that, where your people like yourself that are going to HBCUs can then, you know, basically proceed into the pros? Do you think that that can look different going forward? Yes, I actually think that that can make a big change. And like, you know, NFL NFL managers look at um, look at HBCUs, look at players, see how see how you know how good they can be and. Be, be for their program and be for their, you know, their team and be a, a, success, a successful player coming out of HBCU and helping helping each other. Probably we'll, we'll be in that field too. Okay, so Daniel, you announced that you're going to commit to Arkansas Pine Bluff just really a few moments after we saw McCurr Maker announce that he was going to play basketball for Howard University. Daniel, do you think guys like yourself and McCurr and some of the other profile re recruits that are committing to HBCUs are you guys changing things? Is this a moment that is turning into a movement? Well, my decision, my decision on playing football for Arkansas Pine Bluff was before was probably before McCore Maker had made a decision playing at Howard University, but I feel like that that's a big it's a big moment for for guys for black guys or any anybody to play to play HBCU football or play any HBCU sport to pick HBCU to play anything. Great. And just final words, Daniel, in, in just your own words, if you're talking to a young black high school student right now and they're looking to decide between HBCU and a predominantly white institution um, and they do have ambitions to, to play at the highest level, what's your advice to them? Just, just to keep your keep your all your options on the table and weigh them out and see which one is the best one, best decision for you and don't don't just choose because you know it's a big big power five school it's probably one of the biggest schools you you know you got to offer from but you never know which which HBCU can move you into somewhere like you know you could probably get a, a better you know something better like stuff being paid for or you can get help you know being HBCU as a family and mm. it's, you know. Daniel, we appreciate you sitting there with uh, Coach Jones, who's protecting you. And I, I adamantly respect that um, because our young brothers and sisters need all the protection they can get. All right. Daniel Ingram, thanks for joining. OK, so we're going to keep this conversation going, but we've got North Carolina Central's head basketball coach, Lavelle Moulton, who's here to drop us a couple of gems on this HBCU movement. Let's take a look. What's up, Revolt family? Thank you, Ebony, for having me. I'm Coach Lavelle Moulton, head coach at North Carolina Central men's basketball. Um, being named MEAC Coach of the Century is a tremendous honor. You know, it's something um, I'm humbled and honored to accept. I had tremendous basketball players um, that we've been fortunate enough to recruit, and they bought into the principles and philosophies that we tried to instill. And as a result, uh, what you've seen is a byproduct of uh, multiple championships. And, you know, when you have multiple championships, coaches get a lot of credit. You know, it's, it's great that we're in a position where we are able to recruit quote-unquote high-profile kids, and they give us tons of consideration. Um, you know, and I, I think it's a sign of the times. I think it's a changing of the guard, not only at HBCUs, but just in America right now. I think these young men are 
you know, resilient and they have so much information, a lot of information that we didn't have before and they're standing on their own and they're recognizing their value. Coming from an HBCU, you can be whatever you want to be. Um, I think the problem with America is society has convinced, you know, young black kids that they need to go to PWIs or predominantly white institutions to receive greatness. If you look at it, all of our heroes in this world came from HBCUs, whether it was, you know, Oprah or, or Diddy or, um, you know, Thurgood Marshall, whoever it may be, uh, Martin Luther King. HBCUs were established as an alternative means of education because PWIs wouldn't allow us in there. And so you mix that education with our culture and I, I think you got a perfect concoction of, of excellence um, just waiting to happen. You know, in short, North Carolina Central University, in terms of being a Division One affiliate, um, we're 10 years old. In those 10 years, we have eight championships. So I think we've proven ourselves. We put our stake and we planted our flag within the game. In North Carolina Central, we've become not only a great HBCU, but one of the top mid-majors in the country. And we continue and we hope to sustain all of that energy. So we're going to definitely be here to stay. Thanks again, Ebony, for your time. I appreciate you having me on your incredible show. I always watch you guys. Let's keep the HBCU movement going strong. All right, welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now it's time to get into black excellence and entertainment. And joining me is news personality, entertainment reporter, and my dear personal friend, Jason Carter. Thanks for joining, Jason. Ebony K. Williams, honored to be here with you. Killing the game, love the show. Let's talk black excellence. So starting at the top with the legendary TV and film actress, Regina King. Now she's going from slaying the acting world to making her directing debut with the film One Night in Miami. Now it's been added to the Venice Film Festival and it's based on the 2013 play about a young boxing champ by the name of Cassius Clay, who along with Malcolm X, football star Jim Brown and singer Sam Cooke celebrate the championship win at the Hampton House Motel, which is in one of Miami's historically black neighborhoods. So Jason, we have to be so here for this, correct? Here for this. As a matter of fact, I'm living for this because Regina King has emerged as a major player in Hollywood. What people don't know about her is that she's been directing television for well over a decade now, lending her talents behind the lens to some of the best in black, black television from Being Mary Jane mm -hmm. to Insecure, even handling biz for shows like This Is Us in Southland. So for her to really get in the trenches with this story that is so precious to people of color is incredible. And also, going the indie route, we know that a lot of directors love to get their feet wet in that arena first because some of those films actually fare a lot better than big studio pictures. So Regina King, uh, this is a major win for her and a major win for the culture. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a major win for us too, right, Jason? She has um, yeah. literally grown up, um, you know, before our eyes and to see her stepping into mm -hmm. major theatrical uh, directing at this level, I'm, I'm just honored. I'm honored to be in this moment where Black women, once again, reigning supreme. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on the heels of Lifetime's very successful The Clark Sisters movie, which I watched and loved, now the network is planning a new biopic for gospel icon and civil rights activist Mahalia Jackson. Now the leading role is going to Miss Danielle Brooks, who we know is a SAG and Grammy Award winner, as well as a Tony Award nominee. And of course, we all know and love Danielle Brooks from her work on um, Orange is the New Black. Jason, how do we feel mm -hmm. about Mahalia Jackson, Lifetime, Danielle Brooks? I'm elated that this is happening. You know, I, at first I thought, okay, Lifetime has had some hit and misses over the years with their biopics. They did a great fair, job with Whitney. They, they did a great job. Fair, right? With the, the Clark sisters, 
was probably their best showing and their most successful since 2016 in regards to biopics. So they're getting it right. Uh, Rock and Robin is the production company producing this, and that's and it's also Robin Roberts' production company, and she's extended her deal oh, with Lifetime okay. to bring more incredible biopics. So this is going to be good. I think the casting Ebony is on point. That's what makes a great biopic. Either it's going to get panned for a terrible casting or celebrated and exalted for an incredible casting, right? So this is on the money. I can't wait to see this. I think Lifetime, for them to really lean into Black culture, why not do it right? So you know what? Fine. Do it right. I think they're going to get it right with this biopic. Mm -hmm. And DJ, so they're also seeing, frankly, how profitable, right, Black culture is. Um, right. And and that's the reality of it as well. I agree with you. I think Danielle Brooks is perfect for Mahalia Jackson because, listen, all a good actress can play any part. But I also think when right. you are playing the iconic and legendary gospel uh -huh. singer, it helps when you can sing. And guess what? Danielle Brooks can sing. Um, I saw her in The Color Purple on Broadway here in New York. Yes. This sister's got it all. I can't wait for this. I love Mahalia Jackson. I love Danielle Brooks. I think Lifetime is going to get this right, too. All right, known for her roles as Candy Ferocity on Pose, actress Angelica Ross is soon going to be known for her own production work because she just inked an overall deal with a company called Pigeon. Now, Pigeon already produces, owns Ayanla Fix My Life, and their partnership with Ross is set to develop both scripted and non-scripted content, all for showing and amplifying people's true value and purpose. I absolutely adore this partnership, Jason. How about you? Category is perfection, Ebony. That's the category. <laughs> and also Angelica Ross. Um, this is right in alignment with who she is and, and who her brand is. This is Buddhist. She's all about well-being and, and positivity and forward movement. So I think this is just, again, another perfect storm. Two things colliding that organically just fit. Going back to Hollywood being awakened to, hey, Marginalized groups of people have value. Marginalized groups of people should tell their stories. Marginalized groups of people should have a seat at the table. No, wait. They should build the table and ship it out mm. to make sure that everyone yeah. sits at it. And that's exactly what Angelica Ross is doing. I totally yeah. agree with you, Jason. Yeah. And I love the partnership of this particular production company who already works with OWN because I actually got to see mm -hmm. an opportunity of Angelica speaking on one of OWN's uh, town halls, Black Women in Conversation, and she spoke so eloquently and so powerfully about Black trans women and their sisterhood with Black cis mm -hmm. women. And listen, it was a game changer, Jason. So I love this. Congratulations, yeah. Angelica. Along with his business partner, Danny Garcia, and Redbird Capital, megastar Dwayne The Rock Johnson, well, he does it again. This time, he's bought the XFL for $15 million. Now, the purchase comes just days before the XFL was actually about to take bankruptcy action. So listen, The Rock literally saving the day here, right, Jason? If this isn't a Hail Mary, <laughs> Ebony, I don't know what is. And this is incredible because listen, Danny and Rock, bankable match made in heaven. They were married, but she has managed his I know, career. Quiet and kept. Right. I love that, right. that although the marriage didn't work, they were both savvy enough, right, Jay, to still make the business work. Right. I mean, over a billion dollars in gross box office receipts from their movies that they've both been involved in. And they're both athletes themselves. So they get the nuance that goes into yeah. 
entering this arena, not only from an athletic standpoint, but from a business standpoint. And they want to reimagine football for people going forward. Another interesting point is how they want to play these games with the bubble concept. Now, the bubble concept, which is kind of non-negotiable right now, is a great way to still give audiences what they want in regards to consuming this type of athletic content. The simple fact that you have two business geniuses as Danny and Dwayne means that success is imminent. Listen, it's a win for Danny. It's a win for The Rock. And really, it's an end for the XFL. <laughs> All right, Jason, listen, thank you again for helping me out with this week's Black Excellence and Entertainment. I appreciate your talent and your energy, my brother. Now, listen, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We've got a lot more Revolt Black news after this. One. We fight for equality because we've been fighting. The hate against us is nothing new. Yet we thrive, we withstand, we overcome, and we win. Well, my biggest thrill was when I went on a yard dash, an American flag went up and they were playing the stars playing a banner. But the hate that follows, it chases us, and it only adds fuel to our fire. I don't the world for America. I took my gold medal and I went downtown that day, had my big old medal on and went in the restaurant. So the lady said, we don't serve Negroes. And I had to leave that restaurant in my hometown where I went to church and served in their Christianity and fought and daddy fought in all the wars. Just won the gold medal and couldn't eat downtown. I said, something's wrong. This child gonna be out there playing when your whole ass and me gonna be in the grave. and he doesn't deserve to be in our country. All white, so all that's... white Our flame stays lit. Our fire, our fight is bigger than any game. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now with today's episode being all about black ownership and equality, nobody is better than my next guest who merges the two together perfectly. We got hip hop legend Master P joining, who owns the Global Mixed Gender Basketball League, which is all about putting men and women on equal paying and playing field. Master P, thank you so much for joining us, brother. I appreciate you so much and what you've done for the culture and New Orleans in yes. particular. I was born in Amit, Louisiana, so. Okay. All right, Master P, so tell us what the Global Mixed Gender Basketball League is and why did you start it? Well, it's about giving African American women and just women in general an opportunity to get equal pay as men. I feel like uh, when you look at what's going on in the world right now, we forget that these women are just as talented as the men. So I feel like we want to bring some diversity to sports to where women are able to get their just due for all the hard work that they put in. Indeed. So I know you've got nine teams in the league. What does the representation yeah. look like? Is it 50-50 men and women? Um, and also, how many of your players and coaches are black? Mostly all of them. It's it's a great thing. It's a great experience. And it's 50-50 men and women. That's, that's the thing that we want to do. Uh, that's why the mixed gender league is about equality. 
All right. Speaking of equality, Master P, a place where we know that equality doesn't exist is in the NBA. Right. We see almost 75 percent of the players on the court. Yep. They look like me and you. They are black men, but hardly any. Only two percent of teams in the NBA have black ownership. What do you account that for? And you yourself, you are one of the originators in the culture of ownership. Have you pursued NBA ownership? Not yet, because every time we go in there, they, they want to give us 1% minority ownership. And I'm like, no, we're going we're gonna to do something. We're going to control it. I think a lot of the athletes can come together, but they only looking at getting a paycheck. And those paychecks are big. But one day, these are going to run out. And my, my thing is, we're going to change that narrative. We need to start thinking about our value, our worth. I want ownerships of these teams. I'm not playing. I, I see that. And, and I've heard rumblings that LeBron is thinking uh, thinking that way. But again, I look at yourself. Yeah. Um, we know Nelly had um, a small ownership stake in the Charlotte Hornets at one point in time. What do you think, Master P, it would take um, for individuals like yourself, maybe the Jay-Z's of the world, black businessmen and women, yeah. uh, for us to see more black ownership in the NBA? We have to educate us as a culture. I think that we're not empowering each other. We have to celebrate each other for us to group up and do business together. If you look at other cultures, they are teaming up. We're not teaming up. We're trying to outdo each other. So I think that we got to realize we're stronger together. Even when you look at Black Lives Matter, you see all the unity walking in the streets. We are stronger together. We have more millionaires, but now we got to create more billionaires. So you're Mm. talking about a different business, a different tax bracket but that come with education uh we got to stop just running up and down the court we got to stop just being musicians and entertainers and start understanding economics and uh, empowerment start thinking banking start thinking uh putting the right people into office because even in nba we can't get none of them teams if people look like us is controlling it so we have to put the right people into the system so we just we want all this change but we don't have the right people to fight for us, even like what I'm doing right now with products. So how are we going to get in the Walmarts and the Targets and all that stuff? And I tell people all the time, I don't pray for money. I pray for wisdom. It says in the mm. Bible, you pray for wisdom, everything else will come. Listen, Master P, you're making a lot of sense. What I hear you speaking about is the fact that when you're talking about trying to buy ownership stakes, majority ownership stakes, to be clear, yes. in the team uh, in the league. You're com- we're competing yes. against generational wealth of white yes. people, white families. Yes. And so in order for yes. us to compete, right, we have to collaborate. We have to come together yep. and create a collaborative financial uh, position that allows us to compete yes. with that generational wealth. That's brilliant. I've never heard it said just like that. And um, I think that's an important takeaway. Before we let you go, Master P, I know you've been doing incredible work in New Orleans for the elderly community as uh, they they are, you know, havoc is being wreaked down there with COVID-19. Tell us a bit about that. Well, you know, a lot of people forget about the elderly. And my thing, if you're from New Orleans, you know that these are the people that raised us and we can't Mm -hmm. forget about them. Through this COVID-19, we could save them, make sure uh, they have the right situations. They have food, uh, they have hand sanitizer, they, uh, 
have all the proper things that they need to survive because you know once a lot of these people get into these elderly homes we forget about them and i talk to a lot of these older people at home and they just be so happy to say you know uh master p i'm just glad didn't forget about this you know some of our family members don't come see us no more because we didn't got older and i just hope that we could change that narrative as a culture and don't forget about the people that paid the way for us and uh that's what team hope is all about uh we've been doing this for a long time in new orleans and um i just love it i just love seeing the smiles on their faces and uh knowing that they got somebody that care about them so that's more important than money I love it too, Master P. And let me tell you what's funny. My mom, who's down there in, in New Orleans right now, she's a native of, of the city. She wanted you to come uh, clean her house. I said, Mama, yeah. you're not old enough for that yet. You know, she in her 50s. I said, you got to clean your yeah. old house. Master P is yeah. doing this for people that are truly in need. But, but in all sincerity, yeah. brother, I want to thank you again. I want to thank you for being one of the originators in the culture. We're talking a lot about equity now, Master P. You've been talking about yeah. this. Um, since the 90s, you know, yeah. and, and for years, I tell people all the time, get you some product. You know, yeah. your music is not going to be on forever. I came up with these noodles, the icon noodles, chips. Uh, I, people always say when I created this product, well, how much soda man? I say, well, how much soda is in ramen noodles? Give us an opportunity mm. to get on these shit. We have to start thinking independently. If we're going to control our communities, we got to stop burning our blocks down and start buying them back. So that means we only could do that with economic empowerment. Well, listen, you show your products. I'm going to show mine too, Master P. Yes. You got to be the copy. That's Pretty powerful appearance, appearance of yes. success on Amazon. Um, again, brilliant, brilliant words, Master P. We thank you for what you're doing in NOLA, in America, and yes. for uh, equity uh, for Black people. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So today's episode was all about creating the equity that our communities need and deserve by creating bigger change. Now, yes, sports inspire, and certainly the world has not stopped needing athletics, but the game needs to respect the marginalized communities that many of these athletes come from. That's what athletes like Nike are doing. See, they're trying to make sure that the world of sports reflects the world that surrounds it. Play and competition, they look different right now, but so does the world. And that's why any race to get back to normal See, that's going to take an immediate L because normal is not a game that we can play right now. So again, y'all, we have to move forward together, safely, and as one. I'm Ebony K. Williams for Revolt Black News. See you next time.